Welcome, glad you guys are here. I know we kind of put the message a little earlier than normal. That's going to give us a little more time on the back end to sing and worship together. So I hope that's okay with you. Uh, I don't. I don't generally introduce myself. I apologize if you don't know my name. My name is Johnny Marks. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad you're here. Um, you get in a rhythm and you go, and you just assume everybody knows each other. Uh, my hope is that when you come on a Sunday morning, you have the purpose and intention of meeting somebody that you've never met making sure that you can be family together, right? So if you don't have any other goal on a Sunday morning, make it your goal every week to find somebody and meet somebody that you don't know. That's how everybody gets known. You ever been to a place where you go to church and nobody just, I didn't feel like anybody knew me? Well, it's because we don't take the time to get to know each other. So let's do that. Let's be family together. Let's find people that we don't know, whether it's before or after the service. Don't do it now because we're, doing other things. Uh, originally, we were supposed to be in 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10. Forgive me, I switched it up. We'll be in 2 Kings chapter 5 today, and we'll be talking about still the prophet Elisha, right? We, we know Elijah last week, and Elijah uh, anointed Elisha through God's direction to be the, the prophet to follow him. And what's interesting is that Elijah said, hey, is there anything else I can do for you before I go? And he said, I'd love a double portion of what you have. <laughs> and if you're gonna follow Elijah, that's a great prayer. It's a great ask to say, hey, I'd love a double portion of what you had. What's interesting is we see in the scriptures exactly twice the number of miracles performed than Elijah did by Elisha. God was faithful and gave him what he asked for. It doesn't always happen that way, but it was God's will that that would happen um, when we were, the girls were young, we'd go to the bookstores. We like going to bookstores. Anybody else like when bookstores were a thing? Most of you young people don't even know what a bookstore is. Amazon? Is that? No, not Amazon. You can't go to Amazon. Barnes and Noble. Bookstores where you walk in the door. And you smell the, the freshly cut paper and the ink that's on those pages and you wander. This is what bookstores are good for. You never, like Amazon, you go and you're like, oh, I want this, click, buy, and it gets sent to your house in like three seconds. Bookstores were for wandering. Bookstores were for gaining knowledge and appreciation for literature, for uh, things that would help you grow and mature. And we used to take the girls on dates. This was an excuse to put them in the kids' area for like an hour so we could get a break. And we would wander, I would wander the stores because you just go and you're like, oh my gosh. And there are some sections that are bigger than others, right? I would always go wherever the cartoons were first because I'm like a giant child. And I would go and, but there was these sections, you know, I go and look at different things and, and you come to, there are bigger sections, Self, the self-help section. Self-help section is one of the biggest sections in a bookstore. Because there's a plethora of things that we want to do to try to fix the problems that we have, right? We go and like, well, if, well, I tried this and that didn't work. I bet you there's a book to tell me how I can fix my problem the way I want to fix it. There's a plethora of books you can read. And unfortunately, this is not just a section in Barnes and Noble. This is how we live our lives at times, is it not? When we approach faith this way, we approach God this way. I had my own journey of self-help, trying to fix my own problems. Maybe you have a similar experience. This is why we struggle with grace, right? 
This is why we struggle with grace. If you're a believer, you had this struggle at some point trying to understand, I realize I can't fix it and I'm totally depraved. I don't have the ability. I don't deserve to be with God and you're telling me that he's gonna love me anyway? Right, and we're like, where's the loophole? What's the catch? Where's the string that's attached? It can't be that simple. Maybe you asked yourself that question. And maybe you're here today and you got dragged here by your parents or you came because of a girl or a boy or whatever reason you're here, but you're here on purpose. And maybe you've looked at God that way. Maybe you've had this expectation that it was one way. Maybe you were like, well, it's supposed to be like this. I know when I was an atheist, I would look at the church because I didn't understand. And I figured God worked a certain way. And sometimes we question whether God is real, whether he is the God he says he is, because we as Christians are poor representations of a holy God. But more than that, we want it to be a certain way. We want the flashbang, special effects, lights in production. We want it to be something grand. But when we're confronted with the simple and straightforward, it kind of, what? It kind of short circuits us a little bit. And we have a difficult time, don't we? It can also seem that there are only certain people that are allowed to proclaim the power of God and to point people in the right direction, right? Well, there's professional Christians that are supposed to do that. I'm just a fill in the blank. I work at McDonald's. How am I supposed to be used by God? There's nothing wrong with working at McDonald's. Well, I'm just a, I'm a clerk. I check people out at the grocery store. I stock the grocery store. I clean the grocery store. Am I supposed to also have some part in proclaiming the power of God? See, and we have tendencies to go to people in position rather than waiting and listening to God Almighty. We all have this same problem. The good news is that today we're gonna look at a situation with Naaman that touches on a lot of these things and we're gonna find out the reality of how God works and also the difficulty in the simple. We want it to be complicated. We want it to be grandiose. We want it to be um, filled with our works and instead we find simple straightforward, and not easy. Let's talk about it. I want to kind of contrast Elijah and Elisha's ministry so you know who we're talking about. Uh, Elijah was a fiery prophet. He appeared with things in dramatic fashion. Elisha, on the other hand, was a pastor prophet who ministered in a personal way to the people. Elijah belonged to the rugged hills while Elisha to the peaceful valleys. Elijah was a solitary servant while Elisha enjoyed fellowship with the people. And broadly speaking, Elijah was a prophet of judgment who sought to turn the nation back to God while Elisha was a minister of grace who called out a remnant before the nation was destroyed. And that brings us to 2 Kings chapter five. As we read this, I want you to pay attention to a couple of things. I want you to pay attention to position and authority of the people involved. And then I want you to pay attention to Naaman specifically, what his expectations were, and then what was given and what his response was. I want you to see if you can see yourself in some of this, whether you're a believer, you're not a believer, you're somewhere in the spectrum there. 
I want you to pay attention and see if you can relate to any of these things. Chapter five. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. In the eyes of the world, he was highly regarded because he had all the qualities that we like in people. A king loved him because he was strong, valiant, courageous. He knew how to command the army, right? He was a man of stature. He could take care of himself and he brought victory. Who doesn't like a person like that in your life? We like people like that, don't we? We wish all of our friends had that description. Comma, but. But he had leprosy. Now, leprosy here doesn't mean actual leprosy. It could have meant a a host of various diseases, but it's mentioned here as leprosy. And it would cause a person's skin to turn white as snow and their hair as white as snow. And in Israel, lepers were kept separate from those who did not have leprosy. It was a matter of uncleanliness until it was dealt with, if at all. What's interesting is uh, on, on the island of Molokai, which is near Maui, there's two islands, Lanai, Molokai, on the back side, I mean on the far side, as far removed from anybody that could possibly be over the mountains and down into this valley, on this little spit is a leper colony in, on Molokai, out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And it's where a bunch of people who had leprosy would go and they lived there together and they died there together. And there was a, there was a Christian who went to minister to them and he lost his life serving that community. Total side note, interesting. Go look it up, kids, it's good. But he had leprosy. Now, bands from Aram, so they had gone out essentially, verse chapter, uh, chapter five, verse two. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. So in their raiding around, they had... <clears throat> They had taken captive this young girl from Israel and showed her tremendous kindness. And Naaman said, oh, come into our home and you can serve my wife and uh, be present in our family. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he could cure him of his leprosy. Now, it's interesting to mention. So Naaman has this issue. He has leprosy. The king really values him, right? Right? And this servant girl, this is a whole nother sermon about how our circumstances don't dictate our future, right? God, she was taken captive, brought into an enemy's home. But because she was there, God used her to speak to Naaman, right, about a prophet who could cure him of his disease. That's a whole nother thing. I didn't want to get off track because we're talking about something different, but it's, it's interesting to note there. So Naaman went to his master, the king, and he told him, what the, the girl from Israel had said. And he said, by all means go, the king of Israel. said, I'm gonna send a letter to the king of Israel. Now, the girl said not, didn't say anything about the king of Israel, did she? She didn't say, oh, you should go to the king of Israel, who, by the way, was unrighteous and wicked and couldn't do anything and wasn't even serving God. But the king, high position, assumed that the right direction was go to the person of position. But the girl didn't say that. She said, if only he would go see the prophet who is in Samaria and he can heal him. But they send a letter and he says, go. He says, I'm gonna send a letter. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of gold, 6,000 shekels of uh, silver, rather, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. Now this is about 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. 
just so you know. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read this. With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. See where this is at? So this little girl said, the servant girl who was captured said, hey, if he would go see this prophet in Israel, he could cure him of his disease. Naaman tells his king and his king sends him to the other king so the king can cure him of leprosy because why would the king not do it? He's the one in charge. We have a tendency, don't we, to look to position before we look to the one who has the power. Just because someone's in position doesn't mean they have the power. Especially when we're talking about the kingdom of God, because the person in position in the kingdom of God is actually the person at the very bottom. You wanna be the greatest in my kingdom? Be what? The servant of all. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes, tears his robes. Because even though he is unrighteous and wicked, he knows, he knows as an Israelite that if he asserts himself, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar did this. He took praise of men, assuming that he had power of God. And what happened? He got whooped. I mean, the earth had swallowed up Israelites before. So he says this, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes. Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why is this fellow sending someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? He's trying to pick a fight with me. He figured that the king of Aram was trying to start a war because he had done so with his father. Now, the king at the time of Israel didn't want anything to do with Elisha just as, though, as Ahab didn't want anything to do with Elijah. You know how that works, right? You're doing the wrong things. We talked about this last week. You don't want somebody telling you you're doing the wrong things and change your life. Nobody likes it. doesn't feel good, does it? But that was the, the situation and relationship. So when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him a message. He says, why have you torn your robes? Have him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. He will know that there is a man speaking the truth of God in Israel, he will know that there is someone seeking and following and pointing people back to the God of Israel. He will know that there is a, a prophet in Israel. You guys ever have that question? Is there anybody left? Is there anybody left that is speaking truth? Is there anybody left who will shine light in the darkness? Is there anybody around or are we just taking everybody's word for it who's in position? Or are we paying attention to what's actually going on and knowing? Do we know that there are people in Israel, in our country, in our city, in our home, who are going to declare the power and glory of God, not the power and glory of people? Now we get into the good stuff. So Naaman, verse 9 he went with his horses and his chariots and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now he brought all this stuff. He brought silver and gold and clothes and he stops at Elisha's house. That's the sound horses make when they stop real fast. And he stops there. Elisha sent a messenger. Now, if you are a highfalutin commander, you're a valiant soldier, Right, you have many victories with the help of the Lord. 
What is your expectation when you show up at somebody's house who is just a prophet with all this stuff? What, how do you arrive when you are seeking something from God? And when I say that, you're not pulling up to God's house. You're not pulling up to my house. Some of you have been in my house, right? In that moment, what's your expectation of how it's supposed to go? When we approach God, when we need something, what's our attitude? What's our heart like? Is it a heart of humble expectation Or is that a heart of prideful entitlement? How are we approaching God when we are in need? Whether we are a Christian or not a Christian, whether we need help as a believer or we are looking for salvation and eternal life as an unbeliever, do you come with humble expectation or prideful entitlement? Let's see what happens with Naaman. So Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be stored and you'll be cleansed. Naaman came with an expectation. Remember, Elijah called down fire from heaven. In fact, fire came not just one time, but four times with him. Actually, five times if you take when he was taken up by the Lord. Chariots of fire came, right? Fire on Mount Carmel. And then he had a bout with some other with some other people, came after him and he's like, if I'm not the Lord's person, may fire come in, boom. Fire killed a bunch of people, sent another group of people, fire burned them, and fire burned a third time. People paid attention. There was miraculous outward signs of God's power happening very, very soon before Elisha came into his place. Elisha sent him, didn't even come out to meet him. Do you, listen, if you were the, if you, if you were the president and you showed up somewhere, would you not expect people to be like, oh my gosh, it's the president. You come out, shake their hand. You want people to shake your hand because that's what you, is supposed to happen, right? Elisha doesn't come out to meet him, doesn't shake his hand. He doesn't wave. He just said, a messenger said, hey, here's a very simple, straightforward solution to your very serious problem. Go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. Now in the Bible, seven is a number of completeness. There's a reason why he said seven times and not four times or five times. Or one time, he says, go do this very simple thing and you'll be cleansed. Verse 11, here's where you may start to feel a little tug. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would at least come out to meet me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. And he says, are not the, the Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. He stomped off like a little kid because it didn't go his way. It didn't happen the way he thought God should act. It wasn't according to his expectation or his need for entitled care. He went and Elisha said, go do this very simple thing. But what he was wanting, he, he was wanting to come over and be like, oh, oh, uh, Naaman, I'm so glad you're here. I've been expecting you. In the name of the Lord, abracadabra, wave it over the spot and bing, his leprosy is gone. He was looking for the miraculous and actually the more difficult. 
He was complicating the very simple thing that he was asked to do. See, and we do this all the time, don't we? God gives us very simple direction and we complicate it because we need it to be about us the way we think it should be so that we feel more valuable because we are a part of the fix. We'll get back to that in a minute. He went off in a rage. And as he goes off in a rage because it didn't go the way he thought it needed to go, his servants were kind and they approached him as a father And this is what they said. Naaman's servants went to him and they said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have done it? You would have done it, wouldn't you, he says. How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored. Now, if the period was there, it would be incredible. His flesh was restored, incredible. It says, but his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. It wasn't just restoration. It was abundant restoration. It was over the top. He could have still had his, he could have had a liver spot. He could have had some sunspots. He could have had aged skin as he was. He, He was an older guy. But not only was his leprosy cured, but his skin was restored to something that was far beyond with a very simple directive, the abundant restoration of God took place. And what it took was people to remind Naaman that look, had he come over and stood and called on the name of the Lord and told you to do a dance and uh, twirl six times and kick the door in and try to be good, do three three good deeds a day, go to church every week, Make sure you check the boxes. See, that's what we want him to say, isn't it? But it's not in there. He says, if you'd have done that, wouldn't you have done it? He said, yeah, of course. Naaman's sitting there, I think, convicted in his spirit because his servant so kindly said, hey, he gave you something really simple to do. Had he told you all these other complicated things, would you not have done it? And in his spirit, he was saying, you're right, I would have done it. And they said, why not do this very simple thing? So he went and did it. And because he responded in humility and obedience, he was cleansed abundantly. And it says, verse 15, the Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and he said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now there's interesting, in verse 11, Naaman went away angry because he said, I thought... And in verse 15, he says, now I know. I thought God would behave this way, but now I know that he is real because I have obeyed in humility and seen the power of God at work in my life. I thought I knew what it was about, but now I know how it works. I thought that it was about me and about my provision, about my ability to fix it, Nope, but now I know that it is by the power of God alone that I can get what I need. I thought it was gonna be like this, and now I know that God is real. And then something interesting happens. Please accept now a gift from your servant. 
This is dicey. You're like, oh, he's just thankful, a lot of gratitude. But he brought all this stuff, and now he's like, I want to do all the stuff that I brought that I thought I could get what I needed with. <laughs> Elisha says, uh, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though you ur- he urged him, he refused. He said, if you will not, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing, When my master enters the temple of Ramon, which is a a false god, to bow down and he is leaning on my arm for help and how, and I bow there also, when I bow in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Do you know what this is? Public confession. This is a changed life confessing The God of the universe is the only true and living God and showing that confession by a changed life. Right? This is one of the reasons that we get baptized in the first place. All the stuff he had and all the things he was gonna do did not get him clean. Only the power of God got him clean. But he showed that the life was changed when he said, I will no longer worship any other God but the God of Israel. And he showed that he was, he was already convicted about what he knew he was going to have to do. He was not like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, he was brand new. I mean, you know, remember when you were brand new? You weren't all of a sudden like super Christian. I'm never gonna sin again, which by the way is never gonna happen on this earth. There are no super Christians. There's some super servants. There's some super broken people. But if you meet a super Christian, you better run the other direction. Especially if they're trying to show you the Superman logo on their chest. In humility, he says, the reason he asked for the earth, by the way, was because back in the day in the the area, they felt like they couldn't build an altar to their God except in the dirt where the God was, right? It's a whole weird thing. So he's like, oh, I need some of God's dirt so I can worship God on his own dirt. But he goes back and he already acknowledges, God, please forgive me because my master's gonna come and lean on my arm. And if I stand there while he bows, I'm probably gonna lose my life. He wasn't there yet. So he prayed in humility and asked God for help. His public confession was not words, but actions, right? And we can't pay for the change He had 900 pounds and some clothes in hopes that that was enough. What do you think is enough for eternal life and salvation? A thousand good deeds? A thousand days of not sinning? Pleasing everybody? Making sure you don't miss church or small group or Bible study? making sure you vote right? What are the, what's the 900 pounds and some clothes that we bring assuming it's enough for eternal life and salvation? Which is what we're looking for, right? Perfect, unconditional love. Knowing that the earth doesn't offer that. What is it that we're bringing that we're trying to buy from God? 
It's not complicated. It is hard. It's simple. And here's, I want you to, if you write something down, I'll say it a couple times so you can write it down. Healing and eternal life come through the simple and straightforward word of God. Healing and eternal life come through the simple and straightforward word of God. Attaining healing and eternal life comes through the difficult response of obedience and faith. Actual healing and eternal life come through the simple and straightforward word of God. That's Jesus. Attaining that healing and eternal life comes through the difficult response of obedience and faith. Because we also carry unrealistic expectations of how it's supposed to go. Because we want it to be found in the self-help section when it's not even in the bookstore to begin with. We want it to be about us and God says it's about him. We want it to cost us in some sense, but it already cost him everything. If you look in the New Testament, Naaman wasn't the only one to experience this. If you look in the New Testament, you find a lot of stories of the very simple direction from God to offer what people are looking for. Peter, they're terrified, the storm's all around, he's in the boat, Jesus says what? Get out of the boat. Huh? You gonna calm the storm first? No. Simple, straightforward. Get out of the boat. Very difficult offers him obedience and faith and he takes a step and he stands on the water until he starts to doubt. There's a whole nother deal. The woman at the well, I'm looking for sustenance in life. And he says, what? You have it through me. Straightforward, simple. But he changes the subject. And I wanna land on one thing and then we're gonna finish worshiping together. There's a story of an invalid at the pool in Bethesda. Here, a great, this is in John chapter five. I don't, you don't need to turn, I want you just to listen and hear the story. John chapter five, verses one through five. There's a bunch of people, right? They're surrounded by, this pool is surrounded by five covered colonnades and here a great number of disabled people used to, used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years this person has been incapable of caring for themselves, incapable of wholeness and healing and life. They're empty, there's a hole inside. Not just physically, but when you're down for that long, there becomes an emotional and spiritual hole that remains in us. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked them, do you want to be made well? That is called a yes or no question in the world in which we live. Do you want to be made well? Go wash in the Jordan seven times. Do you want to be made well? Sir, the invalid replies, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down and yada and on and on and on. He said, I can't do it. Jesus already knew he couldn't do it. He didn't ask him if he could do it. Do you want to be made well? 
Do you want to be cleansed of your leprosy? Do you want hope and a future? Do you want unconditional love? Do you want to have eternal life? Do you want to have purpose and joy? Do you want to be filled with peace? Do you want to be made well? We've all been confronted by the question, haven't we? Do you want to not live in darkness and instead live in light? Do you want to walk out of death and walk into life? Yes or no question. And we have a tendency to complicate it, don't we? Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once he got up and did what Jesus said in obedience and faith. What in the world does have any of this to do with us? If you're a believer, I want you to remember that it is not our job to uphold the expectations of others or show favoritism to those who have position in the world. Also, if you don't have position but you clean McDonald's after hours, you get to participate in sharing real life with people who are walking dead. It's simple and straightforward. If you are not a believer, if today you are here, it's not by accident. If you don't hear anything else, and the answer to the question, do you want to be made well, is yes, then hear me tell you this. It is simple and straightforward, but it is difficult because it requires obedience and faith. And it is simply this, that we are all destitute. We are all like Naaman. We are all like the invalid. We are all like the lame and the blind. We have no ability to fix ourselves. You could read all the books in this section and it won't be enough. You could have more than 900 pounds of all the most expensive things in the world and it won't be enough because it requires death because of our sin. That's the payment, death, because we don't have what it takes to be holy and perfect. But the scripture says very clearly, simply and straightforward, that God sent his son to those who are lost, walking in death and in darkness. He sent Jesus to pay the penalty of death, his death for your life. And he says that to attain that requires, requires a humble faith that says, yes, you are Lord, you're the boss, you're the one who paid the penalty, I couldn't do it, and I want you to take over everything and every part of me. A person surrendered to listening to God. It's a straightforward fix. Jesus paid it all. We sing songs about it. But it's the very difficult matters of faith and obedience where we kind of convolute the waters. But if you're looking for life, it is found in Jesus. It is in accepting what he did for you. It is by saying yes to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, trusting in the power of the resurrection and walking your life. A public confession, right? We do that through the way we treat people after the cross. We do it through baptism. We do it through a changed life. Do you want to be made well? The answer is yes. The fix is found in Jesus spend some time praying as the team comes up. We're going to worship together, but I want you just to sit for a moment, and I want you to wrestle with that question. Do you want to be made well? As our friends who are going to join us for prayer come and make their way up as well, I'm going to ask that while we sing 
that you would take an opportunity to remember this. Sometimes we want the outward healing to happen and we neglect the inside restoration that God wants to do. And we have to remember that while we are on this earth, the outward will always decay. But the inward, it says, is being renewed day by day through the power and glory of God. Father, I pray that you would take hold of those who are wrestling with this question. And rather than complicate it, hoping for a difficult answer, that they would, like Naaman, like Peter and those who listened to Jesus' words, they would simply trust and obey. And that today, Lord, may be the first day of salvation for somebody here. And maybe a renewal for those who have been struggling to walk with you for many years. While we sing, would you stand? If you need prayer, come forward. If you want to meet Jesus, come forward. Don't let today's yes in your spirit turn into tomorrow's maybe and not yet. God, be pleased with this and may your will be done in Jesus' name.